on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. We, we always fail to, to, to look at the whole picture as a, as a profession, really. And this is you know, specifically to physical therapy, but I think we see it in other, other healthcare fields too, that everyone's kind of got this myopic view based on one, how they were trained, based on Welcome to In The Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I'm not going to say the episode numbers now anymore because it's getting lengthy and uh, we're up there. So I'm your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. So if you guys know what time it is, it's time to get a little reckless in the rack yet again. This is part three of our Reckless In The Rack series. Uh, Not really sure how many parts of the series we're going to have. That's a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing for the fact that we have a lot of stories, but also a bad thing that we have a lot of stories, right? (laughs) Because that means that there's a lot of recklessness going on in this world. So if you have been following us and you know that the Reckless in the Rack series is where Nick and I share stories from our patients, we like to share these stories not only because they're reckless, but some of the stories may sound familiar to you. It's perfectly okay. If some of these stories may sound like it's your story, that's fine. That's the purpose because uh, that's why we're doing the series. So for all of you that um, are just following us now and don't know what the Reckless in the Rack series is, this is where we have a little story time. And it basically is um, where Nick and I share stories from our patients. And that's why we call it Reckless in the Rack because some of these stories are pretty what we call reckless. So so, uh, for all of you that are just joining us in this episode, we are going to provide just a few quick stories and give our two cents on the story. So what do we get for our first story here, Nick? All right. First one, uh, if if this is your first uh, reckless in the rack you're listening to, we give alias names. Oh, yes. Usually they're either pieces of equipment or something. This this individual is going to be ultra or the shoes we are very fond of here. All zero drop, very wide toe box. Quick plug there. Um, but anyway, this individual is going to be ultra today. This is a 58-year-old male. Um, I saw this person for pain in the balls of both feet. Now, ultra had been dealing with this pain for the last two and a half years. And... It basically started after he got a new job in Boston. So he's taking the train in from, you know, Salisbury area. So, yeah, 45 to an hour long train. Then he's got to walk a mile to work. At the end of the day, he's got to walk back, hop on the train, get back. So he's got a lot of walking through the city. And he's, you know, going to, to work in a suit. So he's got tight shoes, narrow toe box, probably a pretty elevated heel and dress shoes. And he developed this pain. And the pain was largely between first and second metatarsals, so more towards, you know, the big toe side of the foot. And then it would kind of just, you know, disperse out both towards the big toe and towards the little toe on the other side across that pad of the, you know, the the front of the foot, the ball of the foot there. And he was diagnosed with Morton's neuroma, which, you know, sounds sounds pretty accurate. And uh, his his early recommendation from the the, uh, practitioner was rest, 
avoid barefoot and try these orthotics. Okay. And uh, to an extent, I'm okay with that advice. If you're saying this, try this for the next 48 hours, 72 hours, maybe even. But if that's your advice for months, years, any for the rest of your life, that's not good advice. Okay. So yes, we need to do some load management. So we may need to offload. We may need to, you know, provide an orthotic for a short period of time. We may need to, you know, maybe wear some cushion underneath that foot for a period of time or extra cushion. And then we need to start to wean off of that and regain the the foot's natural ability. So this individual was actually given really, really firm. I looked at his orthotics, really firm arch supports. And if you think about an archway, if we go ahead and buttress underneath it, all you're doing is putting more pressure to the front and the back of the foot. So where he's having pain in the ball of his foot, we're just shifting more weight onto that. And now if you prop that arch, arch up even more, there's a good chance that if he's wearing shoes with positive heel, so you know thickness in the heel relative to the toes, then we're only going to exaggerate that even further. So the orthotics... Yeah, they could have offloaded for a period of time, but long-term, probably not. And then you're just causing problems. If you think about a archway, like a stone, classical stone archway, looks beautiful, right? You got all these little stones in a perfect alignment going up into the middle, which is called the keystone. You can put all the weight you want on top of that keystone and that arch will support it. If you go ahead and put pressure underneath the keystone and push up, that arch is going to collapse. All right, so now you think about this individual's foot he's got that firm arch support. That's what it's doing. It's buttressing from underneath. So that foot is actually getting weaker over time because it's just getting that pressure from underneath to cause it to collapse. And then it collapses into something firm, which doesn't feel very good. So over time, he just gets more and more on the outside of his foot, which makes his foot stiff, rigid. And now we're just developing other problems and the problem isn't going away. It's not going anywhere. So the pain wasn't going anywhere for this, for ultra. And, uh, at a certain point, he ended up having a procedure called alcohol sclerosing. So basically, they just inject some alcohol into the nerve endings and try to kill the nerves with alcohol, which, I mean, just just listen to that. We're killing the ends of the nerves. doesn't really make any sense. Why don't we try to take a step back and figure out why these nerves might be irritated and maybe start there instead of, oh, the nerves aren't working. Let's just kill them, right? doesn't really make any sense when you think about it that way. So we went through this that did take the edge off the pain because now he's got no nerve endings. Uh, so that helped, but he still wasn't getting by this, this daily nagging pain that wouldn't let him move normally. It was the worst when he was doing the activities he enjoyed, like hiking. And so now he's dealing with, you know, other issues, depression, stuff like that, because he can't do the things he likes, he loves to do. So that's a problem, right? So now comes to see us almost three years after the onset of this. And, you know, obviously we saw a lot of these things that I mentioned before. We, we see he can't really get to that big toe. So now the big toe is super, super stiff. He's stuck in that supinated, that rigid foot position on the outside of his foot. So he can't pronate well and absorb shock very well. So now all that shock's getting driven into these areas that are painful and it's not being dispersed evenly and, and uh, you know, optimally. And then he's lacking hip extension because he's not progressing through that big toe. And his foot muscles were so weak. You could just see it when he took his socks and shoes off. You could basically see all his his extensor tendons just popping up because the muscles in between just weren't there. They're, I mean, they're there, but they're just not not working for him. So they got weak over time. So now he can't tolerate barefoot, all that kind of stuff. So basically, this individual could have 
probably nip this in the bud going back three years if he was, you know, guided the right way in a sense. Okay, let's offload for a couple of days. If you feel good, then I want you to start to gradually get back to some barefoot movement. Let's get you in better footwear. I know it can be tough with dress shoes out there. Um, there there's not quite as many good options as with running shoes or other, you know, daily footwear, but there are better options. And if you're looking for certain qualities in a shoe, like that zero drop, a wide toe box, you can you can make it happen. And this that that change alone may have been enough to help Ultra deal with this pain early on during the first the early onset, but you know kept in the shoes that were precipitating the issue, um, stopped going barefoot, so now loses that that natural um, mobility and and activation and strength of the foot. So really, it was just this kind of snowball rolling down the hill that just over time uh, got worse and worse and worse. And then really never, never got any better at any point and just continued to be the same every day for the last two years. So now we got Ultra working the feet. He's getting back to barefoot. He can actually tolerate minimalist shoes already, which is pretty awesome. So he's been mixing in uh, the Vibram Five Fingers to do yard work and stuff like that. And he gets sore at the end of the day, but that's to be expected. He hasn't used his feet in three years, so we would expect him to be a little sore. And we had the conversation early on that this this is going to be a long process. You know, this was, even though you haven't been having pain for the last two and a half years, this was happening before that. You know, this isn't something that was just caused by you wearing the dress shoes for those six months. It was, you know, that that was the, the, the icing on the cake. You know, the straw that broke the camel's bag, whatever saying you want to use. That was that that final straw there. And this is something that's like been going on for a long time. You know, he does have some... Um, you know, natural foot structure things that may have played a played a role in this, um, and and we're taking those into consideration right now. So we, he's got the strategies in place now that oh, if you do have a day that's worse, all right, let's offload for a day, um, or maybe two, just see how it feels. So you, we have shoe options for him now. So we got all right. If I'm feeling really good, I'm wearing these shoes. If I'm feeling eh, about the same or okay, I'm wearing these shoes. If I don't feel very good, I'm wearing these shoes. And then the orthotics are in the closet just in case we got to offload a little bit more. So. You know, that allows Ultra to continue the process of restoring his natural foot, uh, you know, activation, mobility, all that stuff is natural, natural foot function. And he's still keeping the symptoms at bay with some of these other tools in his pocket that he can implement when he wakes up and say, oh, okay, it's this kind of day. This is where I'm going with this. So working on a ton of different stuff, but literally could have nipped this in the bud years ago if we had a provider that was thinking more progressively and was thinking, okay, what's the underlying, what's the root cause of this? And with most things, there's going to be numerous causes, right? There's going to, it's going to be very multifactorial, but what factors can we target right now? And can we manipulate to help, help this individual one, get out of pain in the short term and then long term help this from happening again. And really what happened with ultra was we threw a short term solution at a long term issue. And he dealt with the repercussions of that. So we tried to we tried to use something like orthotics and rest and all this kind of stuff that should be used for a very short period of time. We we did it long term and said, hey, you're just gonna have to wear these orthotics for the rest of your life. And it actually made things worse. Right. So orthotics should very much be, in most cases, majority of cases, a short term solution like crutches. We're only on them for a short period of time, then we're trying to wean off of them. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so common. Actually, it's, you've sparked my, um, this is actually not even my story, but I just saw this patient the other day. So that's why I have to say it, <laughs> but it's almost a very similar situation. She came in, she had a, an ACL tear like nine months ago and kind of going through her history. It was like, she went through her all, all her physical therapy and she was like, you know, I think I'm done, but I feel like I'm still a little weak and nobody ever looked at the rest of her lower body or, or her body, I should say, because her feet were so weak. She was in these huge max cushion hokas. She was like, yeah, man, I've had plantar fasciitis. I've had an aroma removed. I've had hip pain. I actually just had this hip injected not too long ago, all on the same side of the ACL tear. I'm like, man. And, and, and looking at her feet, almost, almost similar in terms of like, we just could not control this pronation, but nobody ever took the time to look at her feet. I mean, how important is the ground? So she's not reacting to the ground well. I wonder why you had the ACL tear. So it's, it's pretty wild how we as providers are missing this, you know, it's, it's shocking and disappointing because now, you know, like you said, we could have nipped this before this ACL tear even happened, you know, and everybody was like, no, we just got to strengthen this knee. But in actuality, you know, it was really coming from the ground the whole time. So, and that's probably an individual that will likely have recurring tears. Like that's, that's what you'd see that as if they continue on doing those types of activities, you're not going to prevent hundred percent injury. That's just the reality of it. But can we do better to, you know, increase people's likelihood of, you know, staying healthy throughout whatever activity they enjoy. Absolutely. But we, we always fail to, to, to look at the whole picture as a, as a profession really. And this is, you know, specifically to physical therapy, but I think we see it in other, other healthcare fields too, that everyone's kind of got this myopic view based on one, how they were trained based on, uh, probably how their brain works too, how their brain processes information. It's just easier to look at you know, things in isolation. Right. But we have to take a step back and say, okay, this is what I see. This is what I found. This is what I'm thinking. Test that theory, you know, as long as it's safe and then see if it's working. If it's not working, don't keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go back to the drawing board. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, so that brings me on to my story and this woman, we're going to call her Mac. And that's only because I'm looking at my MacBook right now. And I like that name. <laughs> I was, I was running low on, on the aliases today. So, uh, she is a 44 year old female and she actually had a rotator cuff tear that she had repaired about three months ago. And she was going through her traditional course of physical therapy two to three times a week. Um, she kind of got to this point where she was feeling like she was not progressing, you know, like most of our patients, when they call, they're like, man, I'm just upset. I'm disappointed. I feel like I should be further along. Um, and that was kind of sparked by the last appointment that she had with her doctor. And I'll get to that in a second. But as she called us, she was like, Hey, yeah, I'd love to, I know that you guys do a lot of like progressive treatments. I'd love to come in and see you guys. And we we're like, yeah. So we, we did the evaluation on her. And, and I will say that, um, when I saw her for her initial evaluation, for her being three months post-op rotator cuff repair, she was probably a solid four weeks behind. And uh, that's mainly because she still had uh, significantly limited shoulder range of motion. You know, she really hadn't even started any type of strengthening yet, which is kind of mind-boggling. You know, that should have already been started. Um, and this was all based on where she was getting treated and when the types of treatments she was getting. So going deeper into my evaluation, her telling me about, you know, the fact that she was only getting like 15 minutes of physical therapy with her um, physical therapist, which is kind of disappointing, but it's also not standard. shocking. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. so standard. Yeah. So she was doing the same exercises over the last four to six weeks. In fact, she told me 
during the evaluation that she was so sick of moving the cane over her head. And for, <laughs> for what that basically means is um, it's, it's, an, and it's a traditional exercise that we use. It's uh, active assist, and you're basically taking a cane legitimately, and you're holding it on both sides with each hand, and you're trying to raise that up over your head in a supine position so you're on your back. And um, she's three months out, and she's still doing this. This is, this is kind of wild. So anyways, she, she ended up seeing her doctor, and her doctor looked at her and said, man, you are behind. And he actually said to her, you know, I think that your physical therapist is being a little too conservative with you. You know, I want you to go back and tell your therapist to push you a little bit more. So she's like, all right, I'll go tell him that. So she went, told him, hey, listen, your doctor said that. I say your doctor because they're part of the same practice. I'll get into that in a second. Uh, you're, you're not pushing me hard enough. The doctor says he wants you to be a little bit more aggressive with me. And he turned around and said, well, that doctor doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, blah, blah. And then kind of goes, so now we've got a pissing match between the orthopedic surgeon and the physical therapist. And just listening to the story and seeing the patient, I'm actually going to side with the doctor on this one. And it's, I mean, that doesn't happen very often, but I'm doing it today. So he's completely right. Um, he was being way too conservative. He, she's four weeks behind. She doesn't even have full range of motion. And so Basically, what I'm getting at is that she was receiving her PT at an orthopedic group that is associated with the orthopedic surgeon. It's what we call POPs. It's what we call uh, physician-owned physical therapy services. All right. So your physical therapist works in the same location or the same building as the physician. The physician has a financial benefit there and a financial gain for sending you to his quote-unquote physical therapist because they are technically practicing under the license of the physician. That's how that works. So for all of you that have heard of these places in your area, they're, you know, I, I don't want to say they're bad, but they're, they could be better. And the only reason why I say that is because th they claim that they will normally provide this level of supervision or if they're like, hey, you know, come to my PT, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on you. And you know that shit never happens. It never happens. Typically, in, in an organization like this, the physicians and the therapists deliver the care under the same umbrella. So they're working under the, which is like super gray. And, and we actually have this uh, law in place, which nobody abides by. And I don't even know why it's a law because it people don't even abide by the law. It's called the Stark Laws. And the Stark Laws were put in place for this very reason. They were actually put in place to limit the ability for a uh, physician to refer to their own, you know, type of healthcare or healthcare um, professional. So the Stark Law it actually prohibits a physician's referral for certain designated healthcare services um, to an entity if the physician has a financial relationship with that entity, being that physical therapy service. Now, not all of these physicians are are not all of them, but some of them will tell you that they have a financial relationship, but that never happens. In fact, what they're actually supposed to do is they're supposed to provide you a list of other places in the area where you can go and receive physical therapy services. That's part of the law, but that shit never happens. Um, I bet 95% of the people listening to this have talked to their doctor in a situation like this and have not received a list of other places to go to. In fact, I've actually heard of people that would tell me that their doctor wouldn't do the surgery if they didn't go to their physical therapy place. That's fucked up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's messed up. It's, that's bad. So in, in terms of, you know, the Stark rule, it's like, all right, why is this still happening? Well, I'll tell you why. The, the way they get around this is there's exceptions to the Stark rules. And the exception is that 
if the patient receives some form of quote-unquote supervision from the referring physician and they're in the same location, then it's considered an exception to the Stark Rule. Complete bullshit. So anyways, moral of the story there is you can go anywhere you want. You don't have to go to the, if the doctor, put it this way, if the doctor is telling you that you need to go to their place, you need to find another doctor. So anyways, uh, seeing this patient, she told me that whole story. So she goes back, she tells the, the PT that, you know, the doctor says you're being too conservative and the PT gets all pissed off and says, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now she's like, I don't know who to believe. You're telling me that this guy's being too conservative and he's telling me that he, the doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. So now she's super confused. She's not progressing. And now she's starting to feel overwhelmed and she's starting to feel frustrated. The fact that she's like, I don't know what to do. So that's when she called us. And, and now, thankfully, we've been seeing her for the last three weeks and she's she's been crushing it. But um, moral of the story is um, don't go to a pops if you, you don't have to. <laughs> they're just trying, they're just trying to over. monopolize healthcare right there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. All right, one more story? One more story. All right. So this individual we're going to call Skierg, and the main reason for that is uh, this individual's goal is to get back to skiing. So this is a 50-year-old male, so similar story in that it was, it's, it's post-op, and, and they come to us saying their PT has gotten kind of stagnant. So this individual had ACL reconstruction about six months ago, and his goal is to go skiing, so he just had his six month follow-up with the surgeon and the surgeon was like oh you look great you'll be able to ski by christmas which would be about nine months out and he the the, the patient was uneasy about that so he's like i don't know about this so i gotta go get a second opinion in terms of physical therapy because his physical therapist was like oh yeah no we'll get you skiing by christmas so he comes in and you know ask him what he's doing with with pt i still doing leg raises still still doing all the table stuff which Okay, if you want to do it as a warm up, I can see it. It's fine. But I asked him, "Have you done any lunges or anything?" Not a single lunge in six months. Okay, and if this individual wants to ski at nine months, which is probably a little early in in my opinion, um, you better be doing squats, lunges. You better be loading up that that lower extremity in both very controlled, overloaded ways. So with heavier weight, and then also little bit more unpredictable in terms of plyometrics so you're you're making them move and and decelerate and accelerate because they're going to have to do those things on the slopes so this individual had never done a lunge so came in and actually looked really good looked really good and i was very happy about that but the one thing i could really see with all his movements as i'm putting him through this um, assessment was that he was just unsure he pretty much almost stopped and asked the question about the movement before we did it showing me that his confidence with movement overall, like lunging and things like that, was not very high. And I want his movement confidence to be very, very high if we are getting back to skiing, especially in three months. We don't want him to be second-guessing things, right, because he has to make split-second decisions, you know, about the terrain, where he's going, things like that when he's skiing. So now it's much, much more variable and dynamic and unpredictable. So we need to put him in those types of situations as opposed to lifting his leg with a really heavy ankle weight on the on the table. Very, very predictable, not really overloading. There's no minimal force of gravity on his whole body, right? So we need to get him up and moving. But this was a situation where he had mentioned to his 
So similar to Chad's story, he had mentioned to his physical therapist uh, about doing lunges and the PT said, well, I don't want you, I don't want you doing that yet. And the surgeon did say the same thing. So this, in this story, the surgeon and the PT were on the same page, but from the surgeon's perspective, the surgeon's also just trying to protect his product, which is the surgery, right? So if we just want to think about it very simply, if a surgeon's doing surgery and repairing something, that's his product, right? He wants to be very, very protective of that. So he will tell the individual extreme lengths to make them overly cautious so they don't do anything silly because most times they don't know. Now the PT comes in and the PT's job is to actually blur that line a little bit, right? We are here to say, okay, look, I know your surgeon doesn't want you doing that, but I'm here. I'm watching you. It's going to be very controlled. I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to cue you. I'm going to correct anything if we need to and so on. So we can progress that individual under our supervision and then get them into that. If they look good, okay, let's keep going. If they don't, all right, let's, let's, let's scale it back. Let's regress. But there was no collaboration, no cooperation between the two. And it resulted in this individual being ready for things. He was probably ready months ago because of the way he looked when I saw him. And he just kept on doing the same thing. And he was, you know, he was loading up like leg press and leg extensions, which is great. And that's probably helped, you know, this individual in skierg and in, in why he did look so strong and stable in some of his movements. But he just lacked that confidence because he hasn't done anything yet, anything dynamic. So big thing there is if you're a physical therapist out there, you don't have to follow the protocol and the blueprint to AT. It's there just as a guide. It helps much more in the early, the acute phases. And then as the days go on, the weeks go on, you use that less and less and less and less and less. And it's just a guide to refer to if need be. But you have to make those decisions based on how that individual is presenting. You can't just blindly follow this protocol because those are just there as a baseline, you know, even even just to give you some ideas maybe, but not not there for you to follow to a T because if that's the case, skier is not going to be ready to ski till next ski season, right? If we just keep doing leg lifts uh, for, for a year, he definitely won't be ready in nine months, uh, let alone this ski season in 12 months. But we need to be able to, you know, look at this individual. He's progressing really well. He, he was probably ahead of schedule throughout the whole thing. And we could have started lunges pretty early on and he would have been even better off right now. But now we're a little bit behind the eight ball. Luckily, he's not too far behind the eight ball so we can get rolling. Uh, will he be ready in nine months? We'll see. We don't know. We can't make that. I mean, I you can never make that that uh, decision right now at six months, right? We could make a guess and say, yeah, no, the way you're looking now, if you continue to progress, I think you could be out there skiing in nine months. But we'll we'll make that decision come nine months, right? But we we have to be able to blur that line a little bit and say, oh, you look really good. Let's let's move. Let's move on. Let's let's get you going with the next step, right? It's still good to have protocols and steps and, and, and phases in, in place so you can follow a structured plan and, and uh, progression. But if someone has, has passed this step, you better move to the next step. We're not staying at this step just because we have to wait the, ne- you know, the next month till we get to the next one. No, if, if that person's you know, checked off all the boxes on that step, let's go to the next one. Yeah. And I think you said that perfectly, man. I mean, protocols are our guides and, and a good physical therapist will be able to guide you along that protocol based on if you're advanced, you know, for the phase that you're in, why waste your time and the doctor's time, frankly, um, with, 
with messing around with stuff that that could be progressed and that's kind of what was happening to my patient and that's that's unfortunate you know but it's it's the therapists out there that are following that guide or that protocol to a T and you know they say well we can't do that until week 3 even though they're way past week 3 and you get a close enough relationship with these doctors that the doctors don't even send the protocols anymore. They're like, dude, just go see Chad and Nick. They know what's up. They know what I like. They know what to do. You know, just listen to what they have to say. But you're right. The doctor will tell the patient a certain thing because they know that the patient is not, you know, able to understand how much they can progress themselves at that point in time, but they know the therapist can. And if it's an uncontrolled environment, then um, it should never be an issue. Yeah, I agree with you. A thousand percent. It's really a safety net is what it is yep. from from the surgeon's perspective. Again, they're just protecting their their product. And I and I hate to use the word product in this sense because we're talking about people's bodies, but in you know, if we scale it back and, and look at it, but yeah, that's the the surgeon does does the surgery and they want to make sure that their what they did, the work they did is not, you know, ruined or, you know, traumatized in any way. So Yep. No, well said. All right, so that's good for stories today. I mean, so what do we got going on for next episode? I think we got another guest speaker coming on. We got on. another guest. We got a um, a guy by the name of Jackson Fry. He's a good friend of ours, and he is he's the man. He is a sports performance coach out in the Chicago area, Chicago, Illinois, and he works for a, a gym named GVN Performance. They do you know all different athletes, but he's more recently beginning been getting more involved with hockey athletes and and local club teams and things like that so he works uh, exclusively i think it's the chicago jets the, the club hockey team out there so he's he's huge on creating a positive culture in the gym um you know making making the the athletes accountable so he's big on teaching them how he wants things to look and then he has the athletes coach each other up which is really really cool so we'll, we'll be talking to him a little bit about that you know he's big on just optimizing movement overall movement quality he loves loves training uh, uh speed and sprinting which is will be fun to talk about a little bit uh so it'll be good he went to springfield college uh we were we were classmates in undergrad and then he went elsewhere for for grad school but um it'll be a good good talk with jackson so he's coming in actually from from the Chicago area. He'll be in the area for a wedding. So we'll have, we'll sit down with him and probably get a lift in with him. Yeah, we, we'd love to get another lift in with him. He came and visited us last year. He's a good guy. I mean, if he was moving back here, he could have been part of the pro fam. That was close. We almost <laughs> yeah, got it was him. Close. It was close. Yeah, uh, we'll but no, we're happy for him. But uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that one. Uh, so Jackson, bring your bring your uh, your A game because we're we're lifting, man. So all right, moral of the story. We have a long ways to go with progressing the field of physical therapy, unfortunately. Um, fortunately, you are becoming now uh, more of an informed consumer, and you can make those decisions as to who's progressing and who's not progressing so that you can progress. We do understand that the healthcare system will never be perfect, but it seems that we hear these stories all too often, and that's why we continue to have Reckless in the Rack series over and over and over again. The best thing that we can do for you is just bring awareness. And that's the intention with this podcast. We want you to understand the ins and the outs. We want you to understand what your options are and learn from either our mistakes or other people's mistakes. So listen, if you're a healthcare provider and you are listening, we just ask that you don't be reckless with other people's health. And for all of the patients that are listening, you shouldn't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Rest on, rest on, rest on.
Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.